welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. So the interesting thing about that whole journey is this. I wanted to give my son something better than what I had had, but I was completely unable to do so. What I started sharing with you last week and what I'm sharing with you now in this message is hopefully a better way than what I had given to me growing up. And I know that some of you are are later in the game and some of you, even following up after last week's message, you're going to be thinking, man, I really wish I had this 15 years ago. Some of you are, and, I, and I, I can't do anything about that. Only thing I can tell you is there's grace where you are, begin where you are. But I began last week with this, this understanding of that our children are like arrows. And this is straight from the passage of Scripture in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are a reward for him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So our children are like arrows, not boomerangs. Boomerangs come back, don't they? And if you've ever thrown a boomerang, sometimes they come back, and you're not ready when it comes back because it comes back a little faster than what you can actually be ready for. But our children are like arrows. And the beautiful thing about an arrow is this. This arrow specifically, I told you last week, is like razor sharp. But arrows require attention and direction, and they are intended for launch. They're intended for launch. So they require attention and direction. You send them in the direction that they're supposed to go. I believe if we're talking now about our children, that we're sending them into the direction that God wants them to go, and they are intended for launch. Not to boomerang and come back and live in your basement like I talked about last week, but for launch, to go out and for them to pursue the life that God has for them and the purpose that God has for them and the giftedness that God has for them. The challenge that you and I face is this. We live in a world that is in opposition to the truth of God's Word. We live in opposition to that. We live in a world, in a cultural time and space, that it's not favorable to the things of God. But what does that mean? That means for you and I, because the world that our kids are being raised in and that they're being influenced by, that means that parents are, to, are continually weeding out the things that hold back, hold back godly character while at the same time feeding the things that grow godly character. To use another analogy, this is summertime and we've just had rain, so now the weeds that maybe were stalled out a little bit because we weren't having rain, now they're here. At least they were here in my yard until I claimed dominion yesterday with Roundup in all of those areas of my yard. But I sprayed Roundup in the areas where I didn't want healthy things to grow. I didn't just spray Roundup over every flower bed, over every plant and every tree. I didn't just do a, a clean swath of my whole yard. Instead, I went through into the flower beds and into the different areas where I didn't want weeds to grow. I chose what was going to be healthy and grow, and, and consequently, I took part in removing the things that I didn't want to grow. So it is when we raise our kids. The parental responsibility as it pertains to God's word is for you and I to 
to not only know the truth for ourselves, but to be able to pass on that truth to the next generation. And if we're going to pass that truth on to the next generation, we also have to identify the things that are already as a part of their life, the weeds, so to speak, that are actually a part of their life. And we, with God's grace and with the truth of God's word and with the Holy Spirit, hopefully in us and in in our children, then working with God to have those unhealthy things removed so that healthy things can grow. Here's some things that I found as a children's pastor, as a dad, through all all my years of study and just also being a pastor. Here's four mistakes parents often make. Ignoring the behavior or attitude. Many parents just ignore bad behavior or bad attitudes. They say things like, it's just a phase, they'll grow out of it. But yet, if it's part of a character defect because they have sin in them, They're not just going to grow out of it. It's just going to manifest itself in a different way, and it's just going to manifest itself over and over and over again. We can't ignore the behavior or the bad attitude. Some parents choose to do that because they say, oh, well, they'll just grow out of it. And the third thing is this, making excuses for the child's attitude or actions. Well, you know, they just had it rough, and I I know that they acted out at school, but you know, they're just... They're just having a tough time with that kid, or they didn't make the team, or they don't have a lot of friends, or, you know, you know, things are just really hard for kids today. We can't make excuses for our kids' behavior. Our kids' behavior, they have to own that. Are there circumstances surrounding that that impact their behavior? 100% just as true within our behavior. But we don't get a pass just because things are hard. We trust Jesus when things are hard. We dig into our faith when things are hard. We trust and rely on the Holy Spirit when things are hard. And lastly, raising your voice in anger or pressure. Raising your, your voice in anger or pressure. This is another way that parents make a mistake. They just, if, you're, if your upbringing was like mine, th- there wasn't like tears to discipline and correction. It was like everything's great until everything's not great, and the reason why you know it's not great is it's explosive anger, and it's, and it's loud, and it's yelling, and all of this, and I'm like, dude, help me. Help me know like when I'm about to cross the line, because I don't even see where the line is, but things, in, what can happen with a lot of parents is they don't know how to actually engage with their kids So they just raise their voice instantly, and the moment that happens, their kids repel. Because that's what we do when we get scared. We repel. Kids are the same way whenever we raise our kids and just raise our voice in anger or pressure. And I believe kids today are more sensitive to pressure. So we need to be careful not to coddle them, but we do need to have care and consideration whenever we're loving on our kids and caring for our kids. The highest good, Mark Sayers, I want to give you seven different beliefs that talk about the cultural dynamic that we're in the middle of. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. I can get you all these slides later. We may build it on social media later this week. But I want you to know this connects to what I talked about last week. Last week, I introduced the differences just briefly. I talked about the differences between this generation and previous generations. And now I want to dig a little deeper into this generation and as to what's happening in this generation as to maybe how we can minister to them and seek to understand them better.
I'm going to give you these seven things. They're all from a book called The Disappearing Church um, from a gentleman by the name of Mark Sayers. He pastors a church in Australia called Red Church. I don't know, maybe Blue Church was taken. I'm not really sure, but it's Red Church. That's what it's called. And he's also a sociologist. So these are a little heady. Uh, Let's dig into it even for a couple of moments. So the first thing that he says in his book, The Disappearing Church, is this. Within the, the upcoming generation, that the highest good for this generation is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. You see this in, the, in TikTok. You see this on Instagram. You see this in Reels. These types of things pop up if you're engaged in those social media environments. Number two, traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulations, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. The first point connected to the second point. So what he's saying is these types of behaviors, because they are longing for individual freedom and happiness and self-definition and self-expression, they protect themselves from anything that gets in the way of that, and then they seek to reshape, reconstruct, or destroy them outright. Third, the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. Technology in particular, the Internet, will motor this progression through utopia, which is why our teenagers are so tied into technology more than we were in previous generations. Because technology is tied to their very identity, at least they believe it is. And because through that, that bit of technology, that's how they can express their individual freedom. Not new ideas, just different ways that it's popping up today. Number four, the most important social rule is accepting and respecting everyone's personal journey towards freedom and self-expression. You may ask yourself about why all the riots a couple of years ago. Part of the reason why these riots existed is because they believe that the most important social rule is accepting and respecting everyone's personal journey towards freedom and self-expression. It's just different than in previous generations. I'm not trying to get you to accept these things that I have on the screen, but I want to help you understand them. The fifth thing that... Mark Sayer says in his book, Disappearing Church, is this, the fifth that is defining this generation is is a belief that they have that humans are inherently good. That humans are inherently good. This is also the reason, one of the reasons why, not to minimize this and not to treat this as if I'm an expert because I'm not, but this is one of the reasons why socialism looks so good to some people. Because they actually don't believe that humans are inherently sinful. Instead, they believe that humans are inherently good. So if they believe that humans are inherently good, they believe that if we all get together, we all can start believing together and we'll all be good together. That is not in accordance with God's word, but it is in accordance with their beliefs. Number six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. Upcoming generations, they have access to every one of the scandals. They have access to all of the questions that you had in high school but never asked. They have questions to every professor's uh, whim and wish that sought to destroy their faith when they were in college and when you were in college. Now they have that at at their disposal on YouTube 24 hours a day. 
That's how they got to where they are, and that's also where they got to the large-scale structures and institutions. They're viewing them as being suspicious at best and evil at worst because they have seen someone poke holes in a lot of things that we believe. Seven, final one, rejecting external sources of authority and valuing personal authenticity is highly praised. So they're rejecting external sources of authority. By the way, this is an external source of authority. This is the Bible, in case you wondered. So the upcoming generation, what they're being led to believe is you cannot believe external sources of authority because they are in a belief that the only authority that they need is the authority within themselves. Needless to say, we have a lot of work to do. Amen? The next generation, really, if I were to synthesize all of what I said in those seven different principles that I borrowed from Pastor Sayers, is this. The next generation is craving belonging and identity. But true belonging, the one that we're all after, it occurs when we're fully known and fully loved. And this can only happen when we are united with Christ. This can only happen when we're united with Christ. Because when we're united with Christ, we don't have to fear anymore. And the reason why many of us, even still today, adults, not just teenagers and not just the upcoming generations and Gen A or whatever the next generation is going to be defined with, the reason why many of us actually don't have the friends that we should is because we're living in fear. We're not trusting Christ to overcome those fears. It's the same generationally. We all have a sense and a desire for true belonging that can only be had when we don't just start within ourselves, but we start with the Lord. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, pastor and theologian, he said this, we cannot know God without knowing ourselves, and we cannot know ourselves without knowing God. The two kinds of knowledge are interdependent. They rise and fall together. He borrowed that from another theologian hundreds of years ago by the name of John Calvin. And John Calvin said this. He says, without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. In other words, the two things go together. If we want true belonging, we want to be fully known and loved, we have to be fully known and loved by God first. And that allows us to love God and then love others the way that he loves us. All these things are connected. I hope you see that. More in a, in a New Testament sense, I'll say it in this way. The more you know about the way of Jesus, the wiser that you will be. The more that your kids know about the way, the way of Jesus, the wiser they will be. What's the connection? Know Jesus. If you want your kids to be wise, you want your teenagers to be wise, if you want your kids to be wise adults and young adults and make wiser decisions and, and to not live a life of folly that the uh, author of the Proverbs would say over and over and over, but if you want them to live lives of wisdom, know Jesus Christ. Know him, him intimately. Last week I introduced, introduced this verse, Proverbs 22, 6. And it said, train a child in the way that he should go. And this is a gender neutral term in the way that he or she should go. And when he or she is old, he will not turn from it. So our children require a training, an intentionality, a love, 
for us to initiate some things, for us to go into hard places and do things that maybe we're not even comfortable with, but by God's grace, He will trust us in the middle of those and that He will do a work that He promises. If you look around me, you see a lot of boxes. I'm a little threatened because they're all like taller than me, which is kind of weird, but and I realize that. But the only way for me uh, to really visualize this to everybody in the back and, and that's at home is to have these boxes not small, but to make them visible. I kind of feel like I'm at Legoland right now, like I'm like in the middle of these. But if we're going to train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. I'm going to give you an analogy from another book, and the authors are Phil and Diane Comer, and the book is called Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, and much of what I'm going to say from here on out actually is borrowing from that book. It was just so good for me just to keep to myself and apply within myself. I want to share these nuggets with you. But the way that they illustrate four different, well, four different points, but different categories within that is the idea of a box, and the boxes that you see on stage are all different shapes and sizes because Kids, not are they all shapes and different shapes and sizes, which they are, but it, it illustrates kids at different ages and levels of maturity. I'll begin here, New Testament passage from Ephesians 6, and I've, I've pounded this passage for like the last six months. Every time I get an opportunity, I've been pounding this passage because not only for you fathers and grandfathers, but also you mothers, I want you to know this is a command from God that we have been given in Ephesians 6, the word of God passed down through Paul, the Apostle Paul, spoken to originally to a church in Ephesus, and now it has been permeating through all of these centuries into us today. Fathers do not exasperate. The word means anger. Your children instead, in other words, don't, don't anger them. Don't do things that spur up anger in them. But instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The box is this. The box is a frame that we build around our kids' lives in order to offer a place of joy-filled security in which they can thrive and grow into who it is that God wants them to be. I borrow that directly from the Comer book that I mentioned a minute ago. So the box is is a frame that we put around our kids' lives, that parents and grandparents raising kids that we put around our kids' lives to help them grow, to offer joy-filled security in which they can thrive and grow. The box can be illustrated a bunch of different ways, but I'll, I'll illustrate the core principle of the box with the story. We spent some time... A couple of days ago at my grandmother's house, we go every once in a while, she lives in Wit, and we go spend the afternoon with her, or we'll take her for a drive, or take her out to eat, or, or just to reminisce, or whatever grand wants to do, that's what we do. So we, we decided, just spontaneously, we decided that we were going to go out of town and, and do some things that she wanted to do, but the road that we we're passing on, it spurred a, a conversation that we had of something that happened whenever I was a kid. Whenever I was a, a kid, my, I think it was my cousin and I, we would always stay around grandma's house, and we and my brother and I had ramps, and we used to jump ramps and scare grandma half to death. And if she's listening, grandma, you know it's true. She's, uh, she watches messages every once in a while. But um, we would jump these ramps, and, and sometimes 
if we, you know, we would just want to get outside of around the house and just explore a little bit. We're little boys. And I don't know how old I was. I wasn't 10. I was younger than that, but, or maybe right around 10, 9 or 10. But we just decided that we were going to ride our bikes up the road, and it was probably a mile, mile and a half up the road to, to this place called Double Bridges. And as the name implies, there's two bridges and the water going in. And, and sometimes when, you know, we had a lot of rain, a lot of runoff, the bridge kind of, you know, the water swells up, and it's just really inviting. So I had this idea, and I asked Grant, I said, Grant, hey, we'd like to ride our, our bikes down to Double Bridges and go down and, and play in the creek. And she's like, oh, that'll be fine. You boys go down there. So we went down there and got absolutely filthy, no doubt about it. You know, it start out like, don't get wet, don't get wet. And then as soon as somebody gets a drop of water, you're laying in the water. You know how that goes. And so I'm sure it was one of those days. We were just having an absolute blast. And and we we were there. I don't even know all that we were doing. I mean, we felt like Daniel Boone, just enjoying it. We ride our backs, our bikes back to Grandma's house. But the reason why I could do that is because over a period of time, I, I proved to her that I could be trusted, that, I, that, that I, if I said, hey, I want to go to this place, and then I'll be back whenever, I had proven over time that I would be trusted to do what it was that, that she said I could do, and because I was mature enough to handle that responsibility. A similar thing happens with the box and, and how we lead and what we put around our kids' lives. Eventually, the box grows and expands until one day you reach the goal where there's no more box. That's the goal. That's proven over time and through maturity and through actions and through character development and and spending time in the Word of God if you're a godly parent doing these types of things. But the goal is not that you would keep your kids in a box, and I know that some of you are like, I have a strong-willed kid. I, I, like, you, you went with the whole box thing, and you're already like, we need concrete, we need rebar, like, we need the, that's what we have. When they're 18, I'll, I'll open the door and see you later. I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. There's a better way. But for us, it's the idea that, that our kids start with a smaller box because they haven't proven to be responsible yet, but the more responsible and more mature they get, the bigger the box gets, and then there one day, there's no more box, that they're on their own. They're the arrow that's been released. So where do we start? We start with this. The bottom of the box is Jesus, strong and solid. Jesus, because I can't see it. Perfect. We start with Jesus, strong and solid. We have to begin here because when a child gives their life to Jesus and they get saved, then they have the Holy Spirit working in them like you as a mature uh, Christian or just as you as a Christian adult have the Holy Spirit working within you, you need the Holy Spirit helping to convict, woo, and draw your child, your teenager, so it's not just your word against theirs, because then more than likely you're going to find an enemy rather than a friend. You want them to know Jesus, because with the foundation of Jesus, and notice that it says Jesus, it doesn't say church attendance, it says it doesn't say doctrine, it doesn't say Christian school, it doesn't say homeschool with, with uh, Bible curriculum, 
It doesn't say the Christian's way of life and some level of morality. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. It's the type of, of relationship with Jesus that the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians 3. And he said this, and I quote, he says, that I know him. And when, when the Apostle Paul says that I know him, it wasn't just that I know about him. It wasn't just some, some theoretical idea or understanding or some theological debate. He says that I know him, and it is the Greek word ginosko, and it means, and it's a picture of intimacy with Jesus. It's a picture of intimacy, that I know him. That your kids need to know Jesus. They don't need to know Jesus through your faith. They need to know Jesus through a faith of their own. Because when the day comes when you release them and there's no more box, you want them to have a faith of their own to guide them as they continue on the path that God has for them. There's a proverb that speaks into this as well. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So how could we do this? From infancy, we, we talk about Jesus. We sing songs about Jesus. From infancy, you have picture books where they're looking at things of faith. I was so, so encouraged of just seeing our kids and knowing what our kids are doing. Our kids, you see, our kids are actually, they're taking the, the faith development to our grandkids further than we, we want. I'm so proud of them for that. That they're not doing what we did, they're actually doing better than what we did. And, and to know that, that our kids are having intentional instruction that they're taking that intentional instruction down to our grandkids. There's one specific thing that they're doing for our granddaughter, Marley, and they're asking her this question, Marley, who made you? This is a type of catechism, by the way. It's a question and answer type of forming, not just facts, but hopefully those facts lead into belief. But it's like, Marley, who made you? And then to see her point up. Because they ask the question, but then they also help give her the answer, Marley, who made you? And then they say with enthusiasm, God made you. She's like 18 months. But they're trying to start her off even better than what we did. And like I said, I'm so proud of them. We didn't get everything right, and you won't either. But I'm just so thankful that our, that our kids are actually taking it further than what we had. But it begins with who made you, and then as they grow to be older, there's some other things that you can do. Here's a list of things you can do to help them. You can study God's Word together. You can tell them Bible stories. Act them out. Don't just read it. Act them out. If it's David and Goliath, let them be David, you be Goliath. With paper, not a stone. You're like, how far are you going with this? I get it. 
Tell Bible stories. Act it out. Make it, make it real. Make it alive. Don't make it stale, not just words on the page, but allow them some visual as to what it's being, what's being represented in the Scripture. Take your kids to church. You make it a priority. Don't go when they feel like it. Don't go when you feel like it. Make it a commitment on Saturday that you're going to church, irregardless how you feel or how they feel. Or irregardless if you're running late or if you're, if you're early. Good grief. Bring your donut in here. I don't care. Bring your coffee. Memorize scripture together. Discuss the Bible. Discuss it. Not just studying it, but discuss it. Have a discussion based upon the Bible. Well, the bottom of the box is Jesus, strong and solid. The other side of the box, or one side of the box, is discipline. No parent's favorite, by the way. It's discipline. A lot of ideas about discipline. For you and I, I don't think we need to take the world's cue on what's discipline and have a fearful approach to what discipline is. Instead, I believe, perhaps you do too, we need to actually go into the Bible to actually see what God's pathway is for discipline for our kids. But the role of discipline is this, is to point out error and to redirect a person into more successful ways to have uh, to love God with passion and love people on purpose. Because ultimately, that's what we're, we're striving to do in our partnership with you, is we're trying to, to come alongside you, encourage you, and to help you raise kids who love God with passion and love people on purpose. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, Preach the word. Paul says this to Timothy. There's all sorts of application here for all of us as it pertains to the word of God. But Paul says to Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Notice what he says about utilizing the word of God. He says, correct with it. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Tool number one is this, correction. Correction. The word correction, it means to reprimand or show fault or expose or convict. It doesn't say make excuse for. It means if you see your child or you see your teenager or you see your preteen making a mistake, we ought not ignore that mistake even if it's uncomfortable to have that conversation. It means we have to, by God's grace, to reprimand, to show that fault or expose it, and to work with God to bring about a conviction for it. Proverbs 12.1 says this, Whoever loves discipline hates knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Doesn't say ignorant. You see, if, it, if somebody's ignorant, that means they don't know what to do. If somebody's stupid is, they know what to do and they simply are not doing it. Proverbs 6.23 says this, For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light. And corrections of discipline are the way of life, the writer of Proverbs says. Tool number two is rebuke. It's more firm than correction. It means to warn or sternly tell. That means your child's about to do something. Maybe they're about to hurt themselves, and you say, you need to stop that right now. You need to stop right now. This is the time when you bring out your dad voice. I've been told that I have a dad voice. 
my teenage daughter, she's like, dad. I'm like, what? She's like, your dad voice. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about there. I just, just saying it. I don't know. The dad voice. But if we're going to rebuke, just as what we, many of us would think, that our voice needs to be a little stronger to carry the weight of what we're trying to say. Ecclesiastes 7.5 says this, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Tool number three is encouragement. We need to come alongside in order to help, to bring aid, to bring comfort, to bring courage. This is an error that a lot of parents have is they rebuke and they correct, but they also don't encourage. They're only there to tell the kids what they've done wrong, to tell the teenagers what they've done wrong. But in the times that all the times that they've done things right, that the parents haven't come alongside them. And they actually need, your, your kids, teenagers need a disproportionate amount of encouragement over correction and rebuke. They're just like us. They need to be encouraged when they're doing the right thing. Because the sin that's in them is the sin that's in us, and it is so easy for us to only remember the negative and forget the positive. So we need to encourage. Use words of comfort to help them come alongside, telling them you're great or you're doing great. Or with my kids, what I would tell them over and over and over before every big game is I would say, win or lose, I'm proud of you. Because I didn't want them to think that their performance was a condition of my love for them. So I would just say, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And then I would say this on repeat, I'm so proud of your hard work. Because what gets celebrated gets repeated. And I would celebrate those things in hope that they would repeat it and say, oh, mom and dad love it when I work hard. Why would I do that as a dad? Because I know that in years to come, they're going to need that. They're, they're going to need to work hard. There's going to be a day and age where, where they feel the weight of responsibility that they're not living in our, our house, not living in our basement, not a boomerang, an arrow. And, and I know there's going to be a day where they're on their own and they're going to have to work hard. If they don't work hard, the tendency is for them to slide through the front door and want to come live at my house again. And there may be a time for our kids to come back if they're, they've had some sort of trauma or something that's really, really happened to them. And, and, and there are times where that's okay. But those are exceptions and not to be the rule. We need to encourage them because what gets celebrated gets repeated. The next is the rod of discipline. The rod of discipline. In the Old Testament, Proverbs, many Proverbs, some of which I'll make reference to, put this on the screen, if you would please. Those passages refer to discipline and specifically spanking. And I know some of you are like, ain't doing it, not going to do it, because it may be something that happened to you, or you're, you're afraid that, like, whatever. Okay, you've got your reasons. But I'm just saying, Old Testament, 
the, the, the mode of discipline that was talked about and transmitted generationally that worked for, for generations for hundreds of years was spanking. Not out of anger, not to vent frustrations, but to correct behavior. The discipline is to help our kids not to make the same mistakes again. So here are some suggestions along the way. Be the kind of person you want your kids to become. Be the kind of person that you want your kids to become. Disciplined, hardworking, faith-filled. Ask what the behavior is saying about their heart. As it pertains to discipline, ask what their behavior is saying about their heart. Because whatever's going on in their heart is actually just coming out in their actions. It's not the other way around. Talk about character, not just behavior. And discipline should come from concern, not anger. The other side of the box... is order. This one's not going to take as long. By order, I mean this. It's the discipline of a well-ordered life. If you, uh, as a parent, are unnecessarily busy, if you have no limits, you're going to raise kids who also have no limits and who are frustrated and who will not be able to say no to the things that they need to say no to. So if you, in your moments now, are saying yes to every kid's activity and everything your kid wants to do and everything that your kid, where they want to go, and I want to go shopping, and I want to go here, and I want to go here, and I want to go here, if you have not created a functional rule of life that is healthy, you're actually not helping your child, you're hindering your child because you're adding disorder into their life. And you're creating a rule of life that they're going to mimic and that ultimately is going to bring frustration in their life. Ecclesiastes 8, 5, and 6 says this, Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. The author of Ecclesiastes says, Through a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Another translation says, Even when a person is in trouble. What does this mean? That means you need to capitalize on mealtimes and bedtimes and chores and schedules and Bible time and dinner time and having conversations together. Enjoy trips as a family. Enjoy meals as a family. Say no to the things that, that when life is going to be chaotic and you feel like it, life is imbalanced, say no to the thing that's causing the imbalance so that you can say yes to the things that are going to bring about order and health, and wholeness. The top of the box is this. Affection, affirmation, and fun. Affection, affirmation, and fun. 
Yesterday, whenever I was looking back over my notes, I was wondering if I was going to say this, and I believe that I'm supposed to say it. Dads. Even if your dad didn't say I love you to you, you need to say I love you to your kids. They need to hear it through your words, not just your actions. They're not going to know, oh, well, I knew dad loved me because dad killed himself at work and because we took this this vacation once a year and all of this, they're not intuitively going to know that. They may gather that information in 20 years, but they're not going to know that intuitively out of the gate. So instead, what you and I need to do is to tell our kids that we love them without being prompted to say that we love them. In other words, we need to be the ones to say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I love you, grandson. I love you, granddaughter. It's more valuable than what you may even think. So we need to be affectionate. We need to to hug. That's what healthy families do. That's what healthy marriages do. We need to be affirming. We need to be fun. I'm not the funnest person at at our house. Like, fun is not easy for me. Honestly, it's not. I'm the the chairman of the finance committee. Marla is the chairman of the fun committee in our our house. And, and, And it works really well together. About 30 years now, it's worked pretty well together, you know. Like, bouncing each other out. But we need to have fun. We need to have fun together. That doesn't mean that we have fun because we put our kids in a sport and we sit on the other side of the fence while they're out there playing a sport. That's not what I mean. I mean have fun together. I mean go out in the yard and throw the ball together. I mean find a hobby that your kid likes and participate with them and have fun together. That's what healthy families do. The goal through all of this is that the the box would expand, and that eventually you'd be able to say, no more box. Because that leads to a healthy child. If we're going to love kids in the way that Jesus wants us to, if we're going to raise kids to love God passionately and love people on purpose, Consider the box analogy. Consider being faithful yourself to the things of God. And I would just say this, watch God bless it all. Would you stand? Father God, we love you. I recognize that not everybody's listening, that not everyone that's listening is is a follower of yours. But a majority of us, we love you. We're trying to do right by you. We're trying to either raise our own kids or raise grandkids or just to be spiritual mothers and fathers. So the kids ultimately will will love you 
with passion and love people on purpose. I'm thankful that your grace is sufficient to meet us right where we are. Earlier, we sang about the reckless love of God, and some of some of us in the room maybe have heard that song, and maybe you're just overwhelmed by that truth. Perhaps the reason why you're overwhelmed by that truth is because you've never really experienced the true love of God. Holy Spirit, move in this place.